Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour Well, 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 welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast Oh my goodness, we have such an amazing episode in store for you today My name is Keith Giles and I am the author of Jesus Unveiled Forsaking Church as We Know It, for Ecclesia as God Intended, and a couple other books. And I am joined by my good friends and co-hosts, Jamal and Matt. Guys, say howdy. Hi, friends. This is Jamal Javanji. It's so good to be back on the Heritage Capiar podcast. I'm the author of the recently uh, released book um, called Living for a Living. So um, if you haven't gotten that yet, um, you can just keep on listening to the podcast because you're probably not going to read it at this point. <laughs> hey, come on, just man. kidding, just kidding, just kidding. I'm just kidding. There's so much time. It's, yeah. it's a little reverse psychology. Oh, okay. oh, you're trying to play us, huh, Jamal? Mm. Come on to your games. A little bit. Uh, That's why I feel this. Early. Well, that makes me that makes me Matthew DiStefano, the uh, the trifecta here. And I don't have a recently released book, so because these guys, I'm a lazy bastard, and these guys are. Harder workers right. than I am. Hey, but, uh, Matt, I disagree. You guys are Matt. machines. Matt, you're not. No, I got, I got a, I got a couple uh, coming down the down the old pike here. But mm. uh, yeah, I'm excited for another episode. It should be another average one. I'm just saying. <laughs> wow. Okay, that sounds. No, it's a reverse psychology. Oh, I thought. Am I, am I not? Am I not? <laughs> Am I not understanding this concept? So if sure. we lower everybody's expectations, then when it is awesome, they'll be like, oh, I didn't we, expect it to be that yeah. good. We, we will knock it out of the park. Absolutely. Mm. Okay, That's I right. got it. Okay. So, uh, hey, guys, we are really blessed to be sponsored. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the Hope Center. Uh, it's a community resource center serving one of Alabama's poorest communities uh, by providing a neighborhood market where neighbors can shop for food at no cost in an atmosphere of love and respect. And we love what they do, so please visit their website at servealabama.org for more information, and please make a generous donation. Awesome. Hey, guys. Uh, can I can I announce something uh, that we previously announced on the show? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, um, we currently are still the only uh, podcast that has a hotline. Yep. And uh, so I want to I announce the number in case uh, the listeners don't have it yet. It's 240 Seven three seven nine. That's two four zero three four three seven three seven nine. Call at any time, day or night. Leave your voicemails. Leave your text. Uh, we really, really enjoy all the love we're getting on the hotline. And I actually think we have a voicemail that we're going to share on today's episode. So let's do that up. Hey, this is a, a very happy listener to your podcast. Although I just heard someone say that Jesus's message is totally different from the rest of the Bible. If you read Marcus Board's book on the authentic letters of Paul, which are seven modern scholars agree, they are Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, uh, letters to the Philippians, uh, Philemon, I think I named them all. They are completely congruent with the theology of Jesus, which is anti-Roman theology. Also, Jesus stood up in the temple and quoted uh, the verse from Isaiah. He also quoted the Psalms. So I can't totally agree with the person 
And I would call myself a red-letter Christian, putting the le- words and letters of Jesus over. But I can't say that I agree that the gospel is completely different. Well, all right. Thank you. Hello? Well, all right. Yeah, who said uh, who said that? Was it <laughs> No, that was not. Hey, listen, listen. Um, no. Was it you, Keith? I think I, I think you. I think I might have might have. Uh, he might be referencing some statements I made, but let me. I think because we had a caller on a previous episode who basically said that he felt that the words of Jesus were very different than the rest of the of the, of the Bible, and that includes the New Testament. And I agreed very um, enthusiastically with that caller. Um, and but I hear so this caller is kind of pushing back on a little bit. And first, of all, I'll just say this to to the thank you, by the way, for calling the hotline and leaving your 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 thoughts there. I do appreciate that, and I do hear what you're saying, and I I would agree with you actually that a lot of Paul's letters, I wouldn't say they're completely like different planet than what Jesus was coming from. I'm not saying that at all, uh, but I but I would also still affirm what the previous caller from you know a couple episodes ago who was saying, hey, look to him, it's very different. I don't think Paul and Jesus flow a hundred percent well together. I think Paul, just like any of us have been there on a journey there. I don't think Paul's infallible at all. And I don't think his writings are infallible. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's some problems in some of the things that he was emphasizing. And I'll get into that probably in this episode, but, um, but I hear what you're saying. Like, I don't think they're on different pages. And I, I think Paul's revelation of the cosmic Christ is very, very important. Um, to to the to the journey we're all on. I hear what you're saying, but um, but the letters of Paul, yeah, you know, I think they're I think they're one aspect of the conversation. I think the reason that the letters of Paul were so readily received into the New Testament canon in the fourth century are also why they're problematic as well. And I'll talk about that. But uh, there's more to the story. Um, Paul's letters are not the whole story of of how the the New Testament revelation, the revelation of the Christ, is carried out. And unfortunately, that's all we have in the New Testament, pretty much, is Paul's letters. So I don't agree. I don't well, agree entirely with what yeah. this guy, this caller, is saying. Yeah, I th- I don't know if I disagree or agree. I just I think um, maybe it's a little instance of talking over each other. I'm not I'm not so sure because I I, I do think on the one hand that Paul understood Christ really really well. But on the other hand, wrote all of his letters mm-hmm. in certain contexts. So his letters were only going to address. Um, I mean, they can be they can be applied universally in some instances. But a lot of times with Paul, he's speaking to a very specific context. And so, yeah, of course, Paul's letters are only going to go so far um, because, you know, when you're writing a letter, let's say to a pastor who has um, a group of people in his church or who are not representing the gospel, you're going to speak to that context specifically. Um, but going back to um, something the caller said, yeah, Jesus and Paul both quoted from their scriptures. That doesn't mean that their interpretation and how it gets applied to the gospel is, um, it doesn't mean that they're like right. affirming everything. So it's like the gospel and Jesus are unique in a way and in a way they're not because they fit within the Jewish tradition. And it was well within Jesus's um, uh, context as a rabbi to interpret his scriptures creatively. And he did that. And Paul, likewise, I mean, he, 
yeah, he, they, they quote the Bi they quote, quote unquote, the Bible, but they do it creatively, but they're well within their right to do that. This is what we miss in uh, most Christianity is how creative mm -hmm. Judaism can be. Yeah. And, and we've lost sight of that. So on the one hand, I think the gospel is creative. On the other, I think it fits in the flow of where Judaism was going. Yeah, I think Jesus, there were several things that Jesus said that completely, he completely took out of context uh, from the Old Testament. There were Old Testament writings that Jesus quoted and completely interpret them in a completely new light that was very different than the context in which they were used in. So, I mean, you know, I, I it's, 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 if, if it only matters, context only matters if you're lifting these things as if they're like infallible and they have to be in the right context. And, you know, sometimes like those Old Testament writings, they're just not, they're not, they're not infallible. And so you know, there are, there are things that were written from the perspective, like there are many things that these Old Testament writers wrote that were just playing out from a wrong perspective. And yet they're, they're, they're oh, revered as being like yeah. holy scripture. And so yeah. Jesus knew that, knew his audience. And he said, okay, you've heard this said. I'm yeah. going to say it to you in a very different light, in a very different context, but I'm going to highlight something that the, even the original writer wasn't saying using their language, sure. you know? Yeah. 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 I, yeah. And I think oh, sure. what I did resonate with the previous caller who brought this up in the first place, um, what I resonate with is the affirmation <clears throat> that Jesus uh, makes a difference that when Jesus shows up, he's not just verbatim saying amen and repeating everything that's affirmed in the old Testament that he is showing up and he is uh, now. Yes. Sometimes he is quoting an old Testament passage that already existed and affirming that. But what he's doing a lot of times is he's affirming that. Uh, and by affirming that he's contradicting other ideas that are also in the old Testament. So Jesus is clarifying, um, certain things in the Old Testament that he does agree with, but at the same time, he's also pointing out things in the Old Testament that he does not agree with. And so he is, Jesus is making a uh, distinction many, many times of what he, what he's teaching between, yes, the Old Testament may have affirmed this, and in certain places he may say yes, but in other places he would say no. And like, like you pointed out, Matthew, um, both Jesus and Paul very creatively, when they do quote Old Testament scriptures, they both do so very, uh, I like the, the term creatively, because what they'll do is if you compare the actual verse that they're quoting from Isaiah or Jeremiah or Deuteronomy or whatever, um, and you compare what how they selectively chose what to quote and what to leave out, then you'll see, oh, okay, yeah, that was on purpose. That wasn't, not. it's not because they didn't, understand what that verse meant they knew exactly what those authors meant to say but they're very creatively highlighting one thing and leaving out another so i i, I totally do feel that and and then final thing um i also reject the idea that jesus and paul were uh, on different pages i think and in fact i've done a whole study on this and i and i've i've got it if somebody wants it i can send it to them uh, there's a whole PDF of like left and right, like Jesus taught these 20 things and you hear Paul affirm the same 20 things. So uh, it's not that now Paul may not affirm it to the same degree that Jesus does, but I would argue that Jesus, uh, that the Paul doesn't repeat things that Jesus taught because I think he had, an, he, he knew that his readers and the people he was uh, you know speaking to and the early church, they all they were all on the same page. So he didn't feel the need to like repeat any of those things. But he still taught from the assumption that 
hey, we all know that you know, this this is what Jesus taught, and he would he would affirm it and add to it, but he wouldn't uh, he he didn't repeat it necessarily. Totally, totally. Well, guys, this is first of all a great discussion, and I want to thank the the caller just for yeah. You know, we always say, hey, on the hotline, you know, call with your questions, comments, concerns, disagreements, whatever. So, really appreciate the the listener calling in and and sharing his disagreement there because I think it, it is an important uh, conversation to have. So, thank you for that. And and speaking of the hotline, okay, I do want to, in all seriousness, I really do. Uh, we've been talking about this just as a as a team uh, on the here to Capiar. We we get messages a lot. We get private messages and just encouragements. We're blown away. Really, we are blown away with uh, how far this podcast has, you know, kind of uh, spread and how many, you know, I love to hear how people have heard about it. And we get comments just blown away of how this, our conversations, which we're having, um, have affected uh, people's journey, spiritual journey, just how that's been healing for them and eye-opening and all these kinds of things. So what we would like to do, we're actually, and we think there, I do believe that there's something very powerful about our stories and telling the stories of people. So what we want to do in a future episode coming up pretty soon, we, we would like to feature your stories as listeners. So what, we, what we're asking for is if you've been impacted um, by this podcast, by Her- the Heritage Capiar First, um, we want to know about that. We'd love to hear how you've been impacted and um, how this is and how your journey has progressed because of some of the conversations that we've been having here. So if that's been, if that's you, if you're listening to this and you've been impacted by this podcast, we're going to invite you to call the hotline. Um, and again, let me give you that number just so you have a handy 240-343-7379. Call the hotline. And again, uh, there's no time limit on this. So you can share, just share your story. Obviously, you know, you want to make it not not too long, just so we can feature. We're gonna we want to feature your story on the air in a future episode, where we're going to devote a portion of that to your stories. Um, and so, call in that number, leave your voicemail, and just tell us how you know how you discovered the Heritage Capiar podcast, uh, which specific episodes have really spoke to you, but then specifically how it's how it's affected your journey. How is this translated into real life for you? Um, and we'll, we'll be airing those on a future episode. So call those in. You can call it anytime and uh, leave that. So we'd really appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. And if you want, if you want your name to be featured, put your name in there. If you want to remain yeah. anonymous, you know, that's totally cool too. Yeah. So totally. maybe just clarify that in the voicemail. So, Hey, I also need to real quick, make an announcement. <clears throat> we are uh, giving away with, with the, uh, the assistance of our friends at Zondervan Publishing, uh, brand new, new revised standard version, comfort print Bibles. And uh, we have for the next five episodes, we've already given away, I think five, right? We're about halfway through this. So we're giving, we have for the next five episodes, we're also going to give away uh, one yeah. Bible per podcast. And um, if you would like to see the full lineup of these new NRSV Bibles, uh, you can go to nrsv.net and check that out. So here's how you win. Uh, there's two ways you can uh, you can enter to win a free Bible. You can either call the hotline with a 60-second hilarious Bible story, or you can share uh, a link to your favorite episode of the podcast on Facebook or Twitter and tag one of us. Probably not Matt, but probably not me. Yeah, if you know. <laughs> uh, and then um, and then yeah, we we will announce the winner on the podcast. And today's podcast, our winner is Jody Tom. So, yeah, way to go, Jody! And so that will be in the mail to you. Um, that was she shared that her favorite episode was episode fifty, or she posted something about episode fifty. So, uh, Jody, thank you so much. So we have five more to give away. The battle begins. 
the battle for the Bibles. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just don't just, just a disclaimer guys. If you know, just, this is coming from me, but I, I would caution folks. If you win the Bible, you don't so, have to read it. Okay. Just yeah. <laughs> another shelf. Yeah. Put on the shelf. <laughs> because you know what happens when people read it? You may go into the dark ages, just like the church did when they created it. <laughs> <Just saying. laughs> just but, but again, th- th- this is coming from Jamal. So take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> you know, just, I'm just kidding guys. Sort of, <laughs> sort of kidding. <laughs> sort of. I'm kind of kidding, but not really. Yeah. So, hey, uh, I, think, yeah. I think it may be time for us to, to uh, introduce our Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. Hi, my name is Carl Forehand, and I am a heretic. Hi, Hi Carl. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys have enhanced that. Yeah, just for you. Yeah, it's, it's gotten, yes, yes, that was epic. Uh, Carl, thanks. Getting more creepy all the time. <laughs> thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Um, uh, yeah, I enjoyed coming on your show. This is Matt, if you don't recognize my voice, but now, yeah. and now we're, uh, now we got you. So, uh, as you probably know, we yeah. like to kick things off with uh, why, why in the world would people ever consider you a heretic? Yeah, I think I went through a lot of rejection in my life. And and as I became an adult and started to get back into religion and get back to pretty soon went into ministry almost um, right after just kind of getting back into religion. So um, I I fit it. I tried to find a denomination that I would fit in with. And so I went back kind of to the denomination of my youth, which would be Southern Baptist. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, I'm sorry. And, and actually, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I actually got, got really good at fitting in. And as uh, when I became a pastor, that was what I was known for was the ability to, to, to meld into a community and small towns and so on and kind of build a church where no one could build a church uh, based on that fitting in. Well, about five years ago, Laura and I talked about this earlier today, I this, this thought just kept coming to me over and over again that um, maybe I'm wrong about some things. Maybe some of these things I signed on to and agreed to um, aren't necessarily true. Um, and those questions kept bringing, and, and even from the pulpit, I would say, you know, I think we need to, we need to admit that we might be wrong. <clears throat> and of course, people would look at you like you're crazy uh, because we've got it all figured out and we have certainty. And then about two years ago, I just got to the point after doing some of that investigation, doing some of that, if you want to call it deconstruction, that I just had to say to myself and to the congregation that I was pastoring, I I can't do this anymore. I can't pretend to, um, you know, have the certainty about the things that I'm doubting (laughs) in my mind. I can't can't soften things and and dance around things anymore. And, And a couple of times, actually, the things I dealt with were, um, you know, strongly reacted to in the pulpit. We we uh, made the mistake of going vegan and and announcing that, and our congregation just didn't understand that. They didn't understand that I could do yoga or meditate or anything like that. 
And so, you know, be considered a heretic mainly because I, I kind of uh, had the audacity to question my, my denomination of origin, and probably not, not not that they call me a heretic anymore because most of them don't talk to me at all. So that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, Carl, what were some of the things that you initially questioned and that you maybe wondered if what you could be wrong about? Well. Um, as I wrote in, wrote in my book, I, I started to uh, take a look at I think it kind of began when I had dinner with my kids one night. My, my kids are all grown, and we met at an IHOP restaurant one night, just sat down and talked about um, things, and they I realized they were kind of teaching me. So I started to kind of look back at my kids and the, and the lessons I learned while I was raising them and, and kind of put that lens up against what I thought about God. And you look at things like um, right. that kind of that old belief, like that God turns his back on us. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I looked at my children and I said, I could never do that. Uh, I could never turn my back on my children. In fact, I promised them I never would. I, I promised them no matter what they did that I would still love them. And they could still come home. Um, I, I know a lot of you made your bed, you're going to lie in at parents, but I, I, I couldn't do that. And I'm only a mediocre parent at best. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So how could, God, how could God be worse than me? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I think, yeah, that's I, that whole thing, too, about um, it's just one of these Christ, parts of Christian mythology, really, that this idea, this that the father turned his face away. We were visiting a church in Southern California last weekend. Uh, Wendy and I were down there visiting and we visited a friend's church. And then they sang that old hymn, you know, uh, the father turned his face away. And I'm like, Oh, show me the verse that says verbatim, the father turned his face away from Jesus. It doesn't appear Mm -hmm. that teaching isn't in the new Testament. So where it's come from, like we have invented it, but and, and it's one of these things where if you were to question it, you know, there's so many hymns and so many great sermons and so many assumptions, so many things are built upon that assumption that it's now essentially become as if there is a verse that says, oh, yeah, well, everyone, it's just everyone knows that the father turned his face away from Jesus on the cross and they were separated. But where does that, well, how do you know that? Like, if there's no verse at all to suggest that. So even just, even just questioning yeah. something for which there mm-hmm. is no um, scriptural foundation whatsoever, you can be called heretic. And then now, so then imagine if you challenge yeah. something that people do think there are verses, you know, it's um, you're kind of in a rough spot. And one of the verses that, that I used to guide me while I was raising my children was uh, fathers don't exasperate your children. But, but then you, you lay that up and that's what I tried to practice. And Laura reminded me often as I was raising my children um, you're going too far, you know. You're getting too crazy about this, and you're gonna you're gonna drive them nuts. Um, so then I then I lay that against uh, a common belief about God is that He set up this this unbelievably um, unattainable system of merit, and that that unattainable system of merit. Not only does He set that unachievable goal, but when we don't meet it, then he becomes out of his mind crazy about that goal 
about that goal not being met so much so that he's going to torture us forever if we don't uh, assent to something or uh, repent or believe. And uh, I, I couldn't, as a father, I couldn't, it just became more and more unbelievable yeah. that that was right. That that was that was how God that God had a worse temper than me. That God, you know, and I watched the Sophia scene in oh, the yeah. shack, the movie The Shack, and they they kind of posed the question: Which one of your children would you torment forever? Mm-hmm. Which you know, choose one of them. And he said, "I can't do that. Right? I, I couldn't do that. Why would you ask me to do that?" And and I. I had to take an honest look at God with in some areas like that uh, and say, what is God really like? Now, what is the love of God really like? Um, and it's not that I'm a great parent, it's, but, it, but right. God can't be worse than me. Uh, and so some of my beliefs have to change because some of my beliefs are making God out to be right. a worse monster than I am. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, if we're going to use that analogy that God is father or mother or parent, um, obviously in the New Testament, we get father, but I think that particularly is because of the, you know, the culture in which they were in, but we could think of God as parent or mother. And I think, um, it would have the same effect that if, yeah, if we're going to have that analogy, we should be able to look at our own lives, our own fathers, our own selves as fathers or mothers or parent and, and say, you know, I, I might not be, I might be a shitty guy, mm-hmm. you know, now and then, but you try and you're like, okay, I, I, I think I do some good things as a dad. Certainly God's better than me. Right. And I mean, if it starts, if it starts to get to where you're like, wow, mm-hmm. I'm even better than God. And I know I'm pretty shit sometimes. Right. It's like, okay, now, now we got a problem, don't we? Well, I think, yeah, I think the, um, it's one of these, pro- I think it's kind of a progression, right? It's sort of like, yeah. yeah. If you think about it in the ancient so, world and the, yeah, old, in the Old Testament, you know, uh, time period, going back to maybe the Moses time frame, you know, the idea of God as being a, a father probably was a step, a progressive step forward away from God being like Baal or Molech or so that's an improvement, but we probably were still thinking that God is like my father, and mm-hmm. my father might have been mm-hmm. like you're saying that's kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. But um, so he wouldn't roast me on the flames, but um, mm-hmm. but he's still kind of really stern and really yeah. you know petty and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And so like yeah, there is sort of a progression that you see uh, even throughout the Old Testament that until you get with Jesus, where he's he makes it really intimate and says we should call consider God like a, a, a papa or a daddy, which was a radical concept. I mean, even though you know there there, there are references a few to God being mm-hmm. father uh, in the Old Testament, it's not not very much at all. And even then, it's not in the, it's not in the sense of a, a papa or a daddy. So it's not a, a loving, kind father. We're not relating to him that way until Jesus and Jeff mm-hmm. different. Um, so, yeah, and, and I think then we need to continue that progression mm-hmm. and say, well, yeah. God, God isn't he. God isn't just a father. And he's certainly a better father than we would be. It should be more loving. I get sick and tired of the, the, uh, it's this thing when they will quote, people will right. quote, um, the verse that says, you know, God's ways are mysterious. His ways are not our ways. And what we miss is that, that, cause that, that verse is usually used to justify 
the quote unquote mystery of why God is supposed to be loving, but yet also would roast people in hell forever. Well, God's ways are different than our ways. No, that's actually, if you go and read it, is actually saying God is better than you. He has more mercy than you. He is right. loving than you. Not that he's less. It's not for saying, no, God's less loving than you and you'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. That you'll make sense of those yeah. of that uh, right. later. It's like, no, it's the verse is saying God is even more merciful and more loving. That's what you that's what we need to work out. Yeah. I think even some of the things like God is in control is flawed. Yes. That because um I used to say that all the time. Uh, and then I realized that may not be right. Be- because I would when I would, you know, exasperate him, I talked about exasperating my children, but when I, um, I would do things in my daughters, especially, especially during middle school, which I call hell, um, middle school during those uncertain times, they would say, um, what are you doing, dad? I said, I'm just trying to help. And they said, you're not helping. Um, because you're trying to control this and you don't need to control it. Um, and what I realized later on was that, that a lot of control is based out of fear, and God's not afraid. Um, God doesn't need yeah. uh, to control. He, you know, um, or talks about his uncontrolling love. And by not controlling, he, he loves us. He, he lets us make those decisions and so on. So um, even things like that, when reflecting about my my parenting and so on. It, it brought up those lessons. Yeah. Yeah. Carl is so good. It's Jamal, by the way. So good to have you on the podcast. Go on. Yeah. Um, I, I had a, I heard this, um, I heard somebody make this statement the other day and it really struck me. I think, um, can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was actually a comedian that was talking about this, but it was really interesting. Um, and he said, you know, a lot of people say God is love or God loves us. You know, and I think that that takes a perspective of here I am, and then there's God over there who loves me, which I get that. But then he was talking about his experience. He said, but then I started to realize that my love is God. Um, And I I get what he was saying. He was like, the love that I experienced, that is God, versus thinking about the idea that God as a being loves me as a separate being. And Mm. I guess I, I would, the question I would have for you, would be um, we talk about God as Father a lot, <clears throat> a lot, and I know your book is you know is, is about the subject. Um, but I would imagine, or maybe you could speak to this, um, the concept of God as a Father who loves you versus your fatherly love being your understanding or becoming your understanding or experience of fatherhood, of divine fatherhood. Could you talk a little bit about the difference between those two concepts? Between, can you restate that, the difference between... Yeah, so like we've always been told, and I've always understood that God is a father who loves me, but I don't think mm-hmm. it, my understanding of the divine changed to a father or understanding God as a father or an expression as a father until I started to experience father fatherhood in me, like, like the essence of fatherhood, the love that I felt as a father. Mm-hmm. That's when I think my understanding of God, theology, however you want to put this, started to change. Can you talk a little bit about that for you? Like when did you, or how, what was your process like to begin to experience father? What is, what is, what, what was your experience of fatherly love been like for you? 
Well, I, you know, I go to the, a couple of times in the Bible when it's when um, God the Father, as it you know, it's displayed to us, says, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." Um, it says that not because of anything He did, or an action He just completed, or um, it doesn't even say. Um, that he was required to do so. It was just a natural um, outpouring. It's that other-centered, um, self-giving love. And I, I saw Matt's post uh, a day or two ago about that um, if God is love, then God is patient because it says love is patient, love is kind. Um, love is, you know, bears all things, believes all things. Then God is all of those things. Um, and so, so those, those characteristics of God, uh, are played out. And as a, um, a father, um, when I was good, when I did it, did it well, uh, it was because it was like that, that, that father, son, spirit, that, that exist in other-centered, self-giving love. They were they were just acting out of their character. Um, it's it wasn't um, something they had to prove. It wasn't a rule they were going by. It's just their, it was a relationship. And and when it when it flowed out of my relationship, love wasn't a duty that I had to my children. Right. It was it was just the natural outpouring of that relationship. Right. Yeah. When you making sense. Yeah, you don't have to when you're when you actually are a parent. You don't have to make a um, a list every morning that says "Remember to love your kids." Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a it's right. not a task. You don't check the box. Okay, I spent twenty minutes loving my children. Now I can move on. To, yeah, it's just something that you experience in an amazing way. You know. It opens up like for my that was kind of my thing. Like until I was a father, and I looked at my son with this incredible, intense, automatic um, agape love, where I would have I would have died in that moment, you know, to to protect this mm-hmm. child. Um, and then I just had that realization, and that's how God loves me. Like that was huge, right? So it does change you, you know. What um, so in your in your book, Carl, you. Well, let's talk about your book. So your book is coming out as we're recording this. It's coming out in a couple of days, but by the time people listen to this, it will be out. I've been out for about years. And so tell me what's the, what's the name of the book? What's the premise of the book? And uh, what kind of themes do you explore in in your book? Yeah. And I know at least one of you had something to do with the title. We won't say his name, Keith, but um, (laughs) uh, it's called a parent faith. It's kind of a play on words. What fatherhood taught me about the father's heart. So it is um, just just my experience, not just with my deconstruction over the past couple of years, but, but all of that kind of being tied in with um, examining, re-examining God through the lens of my experiences with my kids. And, my, and now recently with my, my grandchild that was born premature. And, and so prayer and challenges and those kind of things came up during that. But yeah, it's you know, eighteen twenty chapters about about all those lessons that I went back and reflected on. Yeah. So, Carl, um, can you, as we wrap up here, can you uh, 
tell our lovely listeners where people can get a hold of you. Obviously, get a hold of your book. Uh, I'm guessing it's going to be wherever wherever books are sold. But uh, if you just want to give a plug for all that stuff, so that uh, so that we can have a good launch here for you. Okay, sounds good. I had um, you can get the book wherever books are sold. I guess. Um, and we're releasing on trying to release with a focus and emphasis on Amazon on July 1st. But like you said, this will be after that. Um, you can find me at Carl's Coaching. There's a Facebook page called that. And there's it's also where my blog and podcast are at. Um, I also have a, a plant-based page called Four-Eyed Plant Eater. And um, where we do, do a lot of that. I gave up trying to convince people. <laughs> to eat right but i i do like to point people to information and and give them some fact-based okay. stuff there so that's also that's a part great. of my journey awesome carl thank you so much it's yeah. been a great conversation and uh excited about your book congratulations on that and uh, urge people to go pick that up kind of learn from from your yeah. experience i think there's a lot of great stuff there for people um so yeah excited about it yeah thanks carl yeah, it's a it's a hard book. It's from the heart. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. All right, thanks a lot, Carl. God bless. Thanks, man. Wow. Mm. Wow. Hey, guys. Um, I'm, this may be ill timed, but I I just it's it's on my heart. Can I share something real quick? Sure, as long as it's not a joke. It's no. I I got to say, get that get that trombone ready. <laughs> First of all. Thank you, Carl, for, for being on the podcast. But yeah. uh, Carl has a book coming out called Apparent Faith. Okay. And it just reminded me of a joke. Not not his book, but it's it's not connected in that sense. <clears throat> but it didn't write connect. So here here I, I was at Disneyland recently, uh, maybe about a month ago. Do you know they have people at Disneyland that their whole job is to find you? Like if you have a badge on it says first time guest or it's your birthday, they they'll come up to you and their job is to tell you jokes. I was like, how can I have this job? First of all, it's fantastic. But this guy came. You need to find that. You need to get that. This is fantastic. This guy walks up to me and he's like, hey. And he's like, he's, a, he's an employee there. He's like, can I, do you know the difference between a dad joke and a regular joke? Now, I told you this, I told this joke to you guys, so please don't spoil the punchline. But this is for the listeners. How do you know the difference between a dad joke and a regular joke? I don't remember the punchline. So I don't either. Okay. Well, I forgot. I blocked it. We'll see what the dad I was probably high, so I can't remember. <laughs> well, here's how you know the difference. With a dad joke, the punchline is apparent. <laughs> and that kind of ties into Carl's book, Apparent Faith. And I just thought that uh, there was a lot. Use of that as a, mar- a marketing play right there. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, that, that should be, he should save the clip. Uh, <laughs> but. That'd but people great. should get Carl's book. It's not a joke. Uh, I just want to say that. It's not, not a joke. joke. No, it's actually really good. And if it uh, is, it's a much better joke than that one. <laughs> it's way better. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that leads us into our topic. Uh, thank God. Uh, <laughs> into our topic of God as a parent. <clears throat> and um, so, you know, we we wanted to spend some time exploring this concept because it is. I think it is really interesting. Um I think sometimes we don't question these things enough. You know, we just assume God is father or whatever. And then probably much more God is father than God is mother. Um, You're damn right. Yeah. We're well, men. But, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about that. So um, I want us to talk about both. 
But um, anyway, I was I, I, getting ready for this for this episode. I, I did a little bit of research, not too much, because you know I don't want to I don't want to do too much research. But um, I found out that you know, and I kind of assumed this, so it was really great when I did the research to kind of confirm what I my assumption that really Jesus is the one uh, who who really really drives home this concept of God as Father more so than the in the Old Testament. So even though I think there's only about 15 times, this is according to my research, God is specifically called the father of the nation of Israel. So it's only then specifically about Israel um, as, as a national uh, entity, about 15 times. And, and again, it's only in that context. Um, but Jesus mentions it 65 times um, in all the synoptic gospels and over 100 times in, in the Gospel of John. And Paul, and then Paul carries that over. Paul talks about God as Father about forty times. So yeah, way, way, way more in the New Testament. Like what? Uh, that's one hundred and sixty-five plus forty. That's two hundred and something times, right? Uh, in the, in the New Testament with Jesus and Paul, this concept of of God as Father. And so then again, I was looking and I realized uh, I, I found this that one of the reasons why. The, uh, the Old Testament writers may have avoided uh, this idea of God as Father was because it was used a lot in the ancient Near East to, to talk about a, a God, not just you know, the Jewish God, but God, God in general as a father. But, but usually it was in the, in the context of fertility religions, and that had a very, a very strong sexual overtone of God as Father. And so for that reason, they think that this is why... Uh, Pre- previous to Jesus, um, this concept of God as Father wasn't used as often as a metaphor. Um, so, but the, 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 here's the other thing, though, is that Jesus takes it a step further. Jesus doesn't use the word for Father in this sort of distant, um, impersonal sense. When Jesus talks about Father, he, he, he encourages us to call God Daddy or Papa, which is the term that a, a small toddler would use for, for the father. So it's a, it's a very intimate picture of a father, not a strong, distant, uh, authoritarian sense of father, but really this close, intimate, loving, uh, affectionate daddy or papa term of father, which I think is really beautiful. Well, I think, I think that's also really important. Um, Having that picture or having the picture of God as, you know, like the, 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 the dad in the prodigal son story, having that picture, because for me, I mean, we talked about this on our, um, we did the webinars for Mother's Day on, for our Patreon folks, and then for Father's Day. And I was talking about, you know, my picture of dad, my picture of what father is based on, um, my experiences, you know, like, so my, my dad was not around. He was kind of a shit dad. And so it's like, it's really important to clarify what we mean, you know, when we talk about father, um, because if we're going to talk about God as a parent, well, uh, we're always going to have our lens and grid on what parenting means, Mm -hmm. whether we are a parent ourselves, we all have parents, or some of us didn't know our parents or one parent or both parents. And so... Uh, it's always important to remember these things when we talk about these analogies, because we're all going to have such different experiences, um, both as and with parents or fathers and mothers. And that's always 
going to affect how we interpret when we say God is a parent figure, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. For sure. I, you know, I find it really interesting that before Jesus, there wasn't a lot of references to the divine from a parental standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. And I wonder how I can hear, okay, this may be going back to the caller <clears throat> that, you know, when we have, he, I, I, this is one of the things I find different in some of the language of the apostles, okay, that we have contained, that we have, you know, recorded in the Bible. So a lot of the apostles, have you, have you noticed that they don't really, I mean, it, it, to some degree they do, but it's, it's different. It comes across to me as different than when Jesus, Jesus talked a lot about the divine as, as Abba, as father, you know, in this parental, um, this parental place. I don't necessarily hear a lot of that in the rest of the the Bible, you know, uh, especially in the new Testament, I hear a lot about the Jesus being Lord, um, you know, uh, but I don't hear a lot about father. And I think that's interesting. This is an interesting thought. The, the, I, one of the things that gets in the way of understanding the divine as being mother or father, I believe is this idea that God is somehow like King Lord over all things. Again, I'm not dis- disagreeing with that understanding of like source and preeminence and all these kinds of things, but a lot of the language that was adopted in the um, the short term after the resurrection was very rivalrous language. Uh, so, for example, Caesar, the political ruler of the day, um, was called, the term was Caesar is Lord, and it was a it was a very contra- and, and see, the son of God. They referred to Caesar as the divine son of God. Who would then, you know, be the savior of the world? That's how. That's the actual language that was used. He was save, Caesar was the savior of the world, the son of God, and Caesar is Lord. All these terms started to get applied to Jesus after the resurrection. Interesting, though. It's interesting to me, and this is just a thought. Again, I'm not, you know, this is not like a doctrine I'm espouting here. I'm just saying that this. Uh, it's occurred to me that that is there's a little bit off kilter. Because I don't believe Jesus came to set up a rivalrous system with Caesar. Like, now Jesus is the new Caesar. Again, that's exactly what got fleshed out hundreds of years into the future when the you know Roman Catholic Church was established. I mean, really, the, vic- the, the vicar of Christ, the, the representative of Christ on the earth, the Pope, was basically the, the new Caesar. This is how they understood things. But they understood – and then even where we – even – Today, where we have the right-wing evangelicals that just love, they want to make Jesus Caesar again. You know, it's this whole idea of, 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 of making Jesus king. And I know that that's obviously not the apostles' intent. I, I don't, I'm not saying they totally under, misunderstood that, but I, this preoccupation, this rivalrous language, I think does keep us from understanding the heart of, of the message of the man, Jesus, which was that, you know, that we belong that we are wrapped up, enveloped within the essence of the divine, predominantly this is, is, who is not in competition with the systems of the world, so to speak. There is no competition. It's, it's, it, it's, it contains all of that. So that's just a thought I've had that the, this language about lordship and sovereignty and kingship and all this kind of stuff that Jesus totally rejected when he was on the earth is really the language the apostles used a lot of him. And I think that comes from – again, I don't think – Again, to harp on this, I don't think Mary Magdalene would have used those terms, but I do think that's kind of the mis. This is the the misadventurism of some of the male 
kind of like, hey, we're trying to establish this kingdom on the earth kind of thing, and it's very external, and it's, you know, it's it's in rivalry with Rome and that kind of thing, which I don't think it actually had to be. Well, and and, and I agree with you, like that that sort of language has been kind of hijacked and used um, in in not so savory ways, um, but. I, I do think that there is a point to be made when we use like subversive language like that. And we use, um, you know, if we talk about the Lordship of Jesus, like I think to me, it's, it's almost like there's some uh, like some comedy in there, some rhetorical, yeah. uh, it's like a, it's like poke, poking fun at the whole system. Like what the guy that the guy that hung on a cross and got killed is Lord. Like that's silly. Um, and, and when we talk about like every knee bowing to him, I mean, that's silly because it's like, well, he's not going to make you. So what does that mean? So I think there's I think there's some subversive language going going on there. And uh, well, it's not it's not surprising that um, <laughs> we have a little bit of toxic masculinity throughout the church and that we eventually take those themes and we 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 toxify them. If that, is that a word? Um, we make them toxic. And then and just like we make uh, we can make father toxic. Right. Like we we, we uh, but the whole thing, I think, was to get flipped on its head. To get um, to get us to realize a new picture of lordship or kingship or fathership, mm-hmm. um, you know, we get this uh, not domineering power coercive thing that we typically as men do. We get this ro- we get this flip on its head when we use that that language in regards to Jesus, the Son, or Christ, or or the the divine yeah, in any way. I agree. Yeah, um, I, I think um, I think you made a good point. Like. That's one of the things I love and I don't love a lot about Revelation, but one of the things I do love about Revelation is um, is that it does do that subversive thing where it says, you know, uh, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah and you expect it. So, you know, John turns and you expect to get a description of this great, powerful lion with sharp teeth and strong muscles and this huge claws. And instead, he turns what you see is there is no lion. He turns and what he sees is a, it says a a a, um, a suckling lamb, and that's the word. The, the, and David Bentley Hart in his translation, that's how he does it. So every time you read that phrase, you say, "And the suckling lamb did this, and the suckling lamb did that." And it's like you're picturing a baby. It's like a puppy. It's like a kitten. And so it's not this great, huge, powerful, imposing beast. It's a tiny little kitten, puppy, suckling lamb. You know, lambkin, and. And again, that I think that's what is is intended. Now, does that mean does it mean we don't twist it? Well, no, of course we do. Unfortunately, we see all through church history people taking those things very literally and missing the fact that it's meant to be something different. So even you know, there's a great there's a there's a um, passage in the book of Acts where um, it's the one where is it Herod? Where he's, he's, he steps out and he's all he's arrayed in this great you know, shiny armor and the sunlight is hitting him and he's glowing from the sun and the people say, oh, look at Herod. He looks like a god. And because he doesn't rebuke them, yeah. it says he's eaten with worms and dies. It's like, well, again, that's, that's the human uh, perception of God is this great, huge, awesome, powerful, you know, imposing figure. But, but we know if we know Jesus, if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. But what the, what God looks like is a guy on his knees washing feet, is a humble, caring, mm. you know, um, servant of people. Like uh, again, we talked about this in our last episode. This kenosis, right? That's what God actually looks like. Now we all we've got these ideas of God in our brains that we need to that need to be reoriented. 
I think that's part of what Jesus is wanting us to do when he says, when you pray to God, right, whose name you should not even speak because it's so holy, call him daddy. When you pray, say, Papa, like, whoa, that right there is a different idea of father that probably is even different from my idea of my actual father, right? I, uh, I might not think of my actual right. father that way. I may not feel I'm intimate enough to call him that, but I can, you know, and I love like you even went back to the prodigal son. You know, that is such a powerful story. I don't think we get how powerful that story really is. When the son is so disobedient, so disrespectful, basically flips off the father and says, I wish you would hurry up and die so I could get my inheritance. And the father's response is to say, well, here it is. Here's your inheritance, you know, doesn't, doesn't rebuke him, doesn't attack him, doesn't kick him out of the house the way any other Jewish father would have done, right? It, it, it's like that, that picture of the father in the prodigal son is absolutely upside down and completely opposite of what even you would even think a regular human father would react. It's even more loving and more patient and kind and merciful and forgiving than we could. We can't hardly imagine a human father being that way, much less God. Like God is like this. Holy moly. Like that's such a powerful thing. Well, yeah. And, and I always like to attach the theological to the practical or how does this, if, I mean, so if God is like this, if God is the one who would get on God's knees and wash our feet and do these things, I mean, how, I, we're all fathers here. We all have kids. How does, how would that impact our lives as dads? I mean, if we're, mm-hmm. if we're serving rather than telling the kid to what to do and, um, how does it affect our day to day? Yeah. True. You know, I think that's a great, that's que- a great question. I think one, I mean, just look at my own journey when I was an evangelical, um, Christian and I was also a new dad, um, I, I remember having this feeling of, and I don't, obviously, I don't think it was conscious, but again, going back to this Lord, Lordship idea, the way it's communicated in evangelical Christianity is this concept of God being in control, God being sovereign, because that's kind of the, 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 the stream I came from, this, this idea of sovereignty control, and how that translated into my house or in my, 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 my domain, so to speak, was I felt like as a man, as a father, my role was to be in control. And I parented from that place of control. And I think this is very typical in uh, religious communities, religious households. You kind of, it, it's, it's how this idea, this, and I, uh, that's why I'm, I'm pushing back now on this concept of lordship, in control, sovereignty, obviously, because it's like, actually, that's, it's really that there's no need for that because everything is already contained. Everything belongs. Everything is as it should be. So there's no need to control anything. You just get to delight. And in my own journey, and I've, I've talked about this before in my own journey, I remember distinctly my daughter's older now. So she's like in her mid twenties and she's an adult now. But I remember when my, my daughter was about 18 and she had moved out, I was uh, sitting at my kitchen table and I had this profound experience. I don't even know why I just was, and I, can't, I don't even think I was thinking about fatherhood or anything like that. And I distinctly had this sensation in my being of God really just communicating this idea of like, I didn't have, you are not my duty. Like I didn't have to have you. 
because I felt like relieved, I think, just like, oh, I did my duty. My daughter's 18. She's, you know, I, I did the best I could. Now she's gone. I've done my job, that kind of thing. And um, I just felt like God was saying, I, I did, this was no, there's no such thing as duty or obligation. There's no, like, you exist because you are, you are my delight. I get to delight and extend my being into you as a, as a, as a human being, like I get to extend my divine life into you and just delight in you. Like there is no obligation, nothing's on the line. There's no need for any control. It's just, it was st- startling. And I remember distinctly feeling like, wow, why well, could have used that understanding about 18 yeah. years ago? Cause I did certainly did not parent from that place at all. And it, it, it radically changed the way I relate to my daughter to this very day because now I realize my job my, nothing's on the line here I'm not she's not like I don't have the pr- anything to prove it's I get to delight and I've had these moments of, of incredible delight for other people that I will distinctly feel at, it, it's parental sometimes it's maternal which is weird but I, I don't God is mother and father so sometimes I actually feel maternal feelings for people and sometimes I feel paternal feelings for people. And I distinctly realize, and it all comes in the form of delight, specifically with paternal father feelings, just extreme delight. And I've, I've received that primarily divine fatherhood. I've received primarily through people, through other people, not, not from, I mean, I've received it in a spiritual sense from God, but it's really come through people for me. Yeah. Um, not my not my biological father, but other people. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just wanted to point out that how you know I, again, I still think it, the concept of Jesus as Lord is is a good concept. I, but I do think it's still a subversive concept in the sense that like Jesus, uh, the Gospel of John, especially, kind of I think does a really great job of emphasizing the like what is meant by this lordship. Like it's it's not. Um, like Jesus says, you know, I no longer call you servants. Like you're not slaves. You're not servants, but I I call you friends. Um, and so it's, um, uh, to me, it's more, the Lordship thing is more about, it is, I think it is back to the distinction of it's contrasting the Lordship of Caesar with the Lordship of Christ. It's sort of like saying, um, we're no longer living under this, under this framework of, uh, the world, but there's a spiritual, uh, framework where Jesus is the Lord in the sense of we're living in the kingdom of God. We are, uh, and it's a, but it's a completely different kingdom. It's a kingdom based on love. The gospel of John emphasizes this all the time. Like, if you love me, you'll do the things, you know, that I, that I ask. It's not, so in other words, it's the Lordship of Christ is not based on fear. It's not based on you ought to, and you better. It's based on love. It's based on because because of the love of God, because of the love of Christ, because I'm loving God and, and I'm receiving love from God and I'm loving others and I'm receiving love from others. It's it's a kingdom based on that. And under those principles, um, lordship probably does create uh, mental images that are not accurate. But if you do, if you start with love and you think of it in that sense, um, then then lo- then love is Lord, right? It's sort of like, uh, but again, not a not in a fear based thing, not in a you better do it way because love that's not the way love is that's not the way uh canonic totally totally and i would say i would even say this that you know love is lord i love that that's true that's so true i would say i would say like specifically when we're talking about 
because you know obviously we're talking about fatherhood god is father you know and and obviously you know i, I love uh love carl's book is you know emphasizing that 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 really that god like the, there's so much of the divine that's revealed through the concept of fatherhood but fatherhood is so skewed for so many people that really i've i've experienced so love is lord but also fatherhood is i equate it with delight so i would even say go you know say delight is 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 Lord in that sense of like what you delight in is, is, or who delights in you is kind of like becomes this really important figure in your life. Like you think of Lordship of like a King in your life, but I've had men specifically men, which I think is the role of the fatherhood, you know, as a masculine, I believe in there's masculine and feminine divinity that's expressed through people, but there is a role for the paternal, for the father. And I've had men in my life delight in me. And it does something very powerful. Like they take on a level of prominence in my life. And and I've recognized this throughout. If I look back in my journey, I go, wow, okay. And some of it's not been perfect. Some of it's like, you know, men I looked up to because they delighted in me, but then they, they went on to hurt me as well. Um, and there's some, some reasons for that, but, you know, um, but, but nonetheless, there's something really healing about being delighted in by a man, by a father. Um, it doesn't have to be a man, but I'm just saying I've had that fatherhood and they, t- and they become very prominent, but not in a way that's controlling, like lording, but in a way that's really like they become your servant in the sense that they really want to propel you into who you – it's really hard for us to become who we who we're supposed to be in life unless somebody else delights in us. And I really think that's the gift of fatherhood for their children is that they really get in an ideal situation. A father doesn't control his kids but really has extreme delight. And I don't know, I just, I, I just an example of that. I, you know, a couple of years ago, I remember, and it's just, you know, I was getting a new car and I ended up getting, I, I actually have a mini Cooper, which I absolutely love my mini Cooper. So it's a cool car. And it's, it, it I remember when I first got it though, and I was showing, there was a, a guy who was a friend of mine and I was like, just showing it to him. And man, and he's, he's an older guy and he's like proficient in ways that I'm, I'm not, you know, but he, he reminds me of a dad in so many ways, but his delight over my car, like, I know it sounds like a ridiculous example, but I, he was just so delighting over my car and was really happy for me because that's kind of like, it was, it was a car I really wanted and I was so excited about it. And I felt like it was healing something really deep and it was like it was so profound to me. I was like there's something more going on than just him like excited about my new car. And so I had to sit with it and be like what what's happening? What am I experiencing? And really what I what I what I came to conclusions with was like wow, he's the he's like one of the few guys in my life that have actually delighted in me, like really delighted in me in the way a father would delight in a son. I don't think he was even aware of it, but it was deeply healing. And I was like, that's God. That's, that's the divine right there. But the divine, not from the sky, but like from a real flesh and blood human being in yeah. my life. And I wonder if we've had that. Like, I'm just curious, just have you guys had that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've certainly had, um, men in my life and women in my life who I feel like have shown me that sort of divine love, that fatherly or motherly love um, other than my own parents. I mean, I, I, I've been blessed, I think, to have really good parents who both really affirm me and love me um, 
for the most part. I had I had a rough patch with my dad when I was younger, but uh, we definitely find, found some healing now. I'm in a much better place now. Um, but yeah, there were people in my life that um, had youth pastors. I had uh, uh, just other older men in my life who really saw something in me and affirmed it in me and encouraged it in me. And that was beautiful. I mean, it was just amazing. And it has such a powerful impact uh, on my spiritual development. Like I, I sometimes wonder like if God had not put those people in my life, I had not mm-hmm. had those people at different points in my life. Cause I can see it in elementary school in junior high and high school and college. These, those people were in my life and, um, and how different my life would have been had that not happened. Like, would I know God the way I do yeah. now? Would I, would I even, I, you know, I mean, it could be even the point of like, would I even be writing books about God right now? You know, who knows? Who knows? Right. Who totally. Right so, yeah, it made totally. a difference. So, Matt, how about you? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, um, I mean, I'm, I'm of the firm belief that uh, the, lo- the love of God that we truly experience is primarily through interactions with other human beings mm-hmm. and totally and so yeah and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be our biological mother and father i have a great biological mom and a great stepdad um like i said not a great biological dad so i i think um we're always in most of us coming across people who have that sort of um divine love for you motherly fatherly um <laughs> And that's primarily where we experience that. I, I think sometimes we get too caught up in the abstract when we talk about the love of God, rather than the love of God that flows through other people that is much more experiential and real. Yeah. Um, and we don't often see that as divine love, but I think ultimately that's what it is. Totally. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I wanted to also say, like, I, yeah. I think we talked a whole lot about fatherhood. And I don't know, we don't have a lot of time to go into specifically in motherhood, but I'd like to at least explore a little bit of that because I think um, this may have come up when we were doing either our, either our Father's Day uh, webinar or the, or the Mother's one. It might have been the Father's one, but any, anyway, um, I was mentioning how like I have a much, well, I used to have a contentious relationship with my father, but I have a much better one now. I've never had an issue with my mom. Uh, as far as just our relationship and, and her love, it's been really constant for me. And I think it might have been you, Jamal, who brought up the fact, because I think it was in the context of saying, like, do we relate to God as father or do we relate to God as mother? And for some people, calling God she and mother is is much more healing for them and all of that. And I think you, I think it was you, Jamal, who made a, pointed something out that I thought was dead on um, about how, well, maybe, like, for example, for me, uh, I said that I don't, uh, I just don't connect with this concept of God as mother. And then the, and the suggestion was that, well, maybe it's because I have a wounded uh, relationship with my father, even though it is in a better place now, but that because of that, relating to God as father is, is part of that healing for me. Whereas mm. if I had a contentious relationship with my mom, that was something broken there, something that wasn't complete there. I might gravitate much more. I, I might find more healing in the concept of God as mother because it's mm-hmm. not something that I really receive in the, in the natural. Is that you think that's? No, no, that's exactly that's spot on. I, and I, one of the things that has affected me in my life the most was a lack of 
certainty. Uh, as a child, I always felt like I was going to be abandoned by my mother. Um, my mom had this, you know, just a lot of different complexes. And one of the things that she really sewed into me as a young child was that I could be abandoned at any moment. I could be an orphan. She could die. You know, my mom was, you know, had all these illnesses. And I literally thought she was, I, I was convinced as a child that every time she'd go out, especially in the winter, you know, I grew up in Ohio. My mom would always talk about how people die on the roads. I was convinced every time as a child, you know, you hear that, you don't know, you, you know, you have no idea. That, so my, I was like, well, why are you leaving then? Why are you going to work? We have to go to work. And I was just tortured in my mind and it was deep. And then not only that, she would talk about her illnesses and she would talk about her own experience of losing her mother. And I, I was just really traumatized. That energy of abandonment was really deep in my life. And um, motherhood, I, my understanding that motherhood one of the gifts of motherhood, what motherhood provides for children is this real sense of certainty and safety and kind of being contained. And I didn't have that. And uh, that came out in a lot of ways as I got older. It came out as anxiety. It came out in, um, in just codependent relationships, a lot of different things. So it's very natural for me because this is one of the major areas I need healing. I also need healing in the area of fatherhood as well. But motherhood, that was a deep, like kind of foundational wound of a lack of certainty that typically should come through mother that didn't, it didn't happen with me, even though my mom meant well, loves me very much. Um, but she, because of her insecurity, it was passed on to me, just a lack of certainty on a base level. And so now, like when I visualize God, I think of a woman, um, I just think of, and I have for a long time, several years. Um, it, it just, there's, there actually can see, there's like a sh silhouette in my mind, uh, just a woman figure with long black flowing hair. And it's mm. very comforting. Obviously, I know that God doesn't have, have exclusive <laughs> form, but, but that's just a, that's something I can understand. And it really feels deeply soothing to me. Um, but fatherhood, I don't, I don't have, it's harder for me to relate to God as dad. Um, in this abstract form, but I totally receive it more. I really receive the divine fatherhood more through my relationship with men, specifically men who delight in me now. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's, I can think of that kind of divine fatherhood in that way. But when I think of abstract divinity, I think of motherhood. If that so makes. can I ask you, can I ask you a question? Sure. sure. Do you think that um, now that you're, so you're, now that you're aware of sort of where that comes from with you, with, with your own mom and then how you are much more natural for you to picture God as this woman. Mm -hmm. Do you think that also then is part of why you resonate so much with Mary Magdalene? Oh, no, no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt because I think what Mary Magdalene represents is that this divine feminine. Uh, I think, I think that's what was elevated in her through her awakening uh, as a human, as a, as a woman who lived on the earth, but what she was elevated to and what she operated from, I really believe is a divine and divine femininity. You know, again, humans are just images and likenesses, expressions of, of the divine. This is what, why humans exist. I think Jesus in many ways was a, was a, was a beautiful, um, expression of God as father. And I would, I would say that Mary Magdalene, uh, is a is a is a prototype of the divine feminine, at least in this context, um, and I. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I do resonate with her very much. And I don't. I didn't understand all this. It, it was a journey, and it had to be unfolded for me, and it's still unfolding. But that I do believe that's why I resonate with her so much. Yeah, yeah. this has been such a good conversation. Um, I'm glad we're having it. I don't think we've finalized this whole concept, so that's why we have a Facebook group. So 
if you're listening and you want us to keep talking, well, we've ran out of time. So then we're going to carry it over on the Facebook group. So make sure you join us there. And uh, we also have a website that you can visit and you can get all the uh, updated episodes. We have a store. It's heretichappyhour.com. And that is uh, basically all things Heretic Happy Hour. Make sure you visit that. And uh, yeah, join the group and let's keep this conversation rolling. Yeah, and not only yeah. not only do we have uh, a conversation continuing in the Facebook group, we this actual conversation, the interview as well as the, uh, the podcast, uh, there are bits of it that will only appear over on the Patreon page. So if you are a uh, a supporter of us through the Patreon page, that that's where you're going to get the, the sort of rest of the conversation and the rest of the interview that we did with Carl. Uh, so if you can't, you know, if you can't get enough, that's where you go. And we want to invite you to go to the, it's patreon.com slash happy hour. Oh my gosh. Bonus interview footage, bonus conversations, uh, webinars, um, all kinds of stuff. It's, it's a blast. And we would uh, we'd really love if you want to support us and help us keep doing what we're doing, head over to the Patreon page and do that. Totally. And by the way, we're on, we're a podcast in case you didn't know. <laughs> and, and we are on iTunes and that means Apple iTunes. So we're hosting Apple iTunes and uh, it really helps if you listen to this podcast, if you would rate us and write a review or at least write us right at the very least, but write a review that really makes a difference. Um, it helps uh, our podcast get visibility. So thank you. Thank you all very much. It only takes a minute and it's free. Whee!